everyone, and welcome to the Expeditors podcast, where you can hear about front of my topics in the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today we're going to talk about the world of distribution to know how they've been handling the last couple of years, exciting developments in automation, and lessons to think about as we bring this year to a close. This will be the last episode of 2021, and we'll be back with more content in January of next year. But today joining me is the Senior Vice President of Global Distribution, Bruce Krebs. Bruce, welcome. Hi, Chris. Great to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you. Um, Let's get to know you a little bit before we uh, start chatting about today's topic. Uh, Could you walk me through your career or all the events that led to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, we're going to have to go back about, well, over 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I started in the logistics industry as an intern in Italy, in Europe. Uh, the reason for that is I studied world trade and development in college and double majored in Italian and world trade and did my junior abroad, fell in love and tried to find any excuse I possibly could to get back to Europe. And fortunately, <laughs> I did find a company uh, that gave me the opportunity. And so I shipped myself over to Europe and worked as an intern for three months in yeah. Milan, Italy, and got hired shortly thereafter, ended up living in Italy for six years. Then I moved to Miami and became a district manager for that same company, which is mm-hmm. now part of UPS. And uh, at that time, the company was going through a, a significant amount of, of acquisitions. And in fact, in one year, I think I had to integrate into my operations over nine new companies. And Wow. Yeah. So I saw the writing <laughs> on the wall. And um, fortunately, I was offered a great job uh, to become director of operations for Latin America for the largest air freight forwarder into Latin America. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that for six years until that company too was acquired. And at the time I was uh, running South American operations based in Buenos Aires. Mm -hmm. We got acquired. I got transferred with the new company to Mexico City. And uh, after, well, Within a fir- the first year of being there, uh, I was given the opportunity to interview at Expeditors, mm-hmm. and uh, well, 21 years later, here I am. And, <laughs> you stayed put for a uh, little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been an amazing 21 years, and you know, with Expeditors, I started in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. I then moved to Brazil, and then uh, after f- six years in Brazil, moved back to the southern border and was there for five or six years, and have now been based here in corporate headquarters in Seattle for the last six years, uh, working with. The global distribution product around the world. Now you've started from doing air and 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 a lot of like operations stuff. How did you get kind of um, how did you get directed into distribution? What about distribution interests you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say career wise, I kind of felt like I was an air guy for the first few years <laughs> of my career. <laughs> There's a personality um, test that you took. That's like yeah, an air and then, guy. <laughs> Ocean was extremely important, but then when I moved to the southern border, I was very much a customs brokerage uh, fanatic in in the sense that uh, we had an amazing opportunity down there. Uh, I think Expeditors, without a doubt, is by far the best broker in the world. But mm-hmm. you know, if you were ever to go to the southern border, I don't think anybody can come close to us and touch mm-hmm. us. But yeah, as part of being on the southern border and running Mexico, we did have the opportunity to expand quite a bit in distribution. And um, before I took on this role, my region was the largest in terms of distribution revenue. And when the opportunity came to uh, move here to corporate, mm-hmm. I jumped on it. Yeah. and. Haven't looked back since. I mean, it's distribution is like all of our products, incredibly complex and incredibly interesting. I mean, there's far more science and 
you know, a lot more thought that goes into a successful DC than most people realize. So, you know, we have an engineering team. I get to work with a lot of interesting people and we have a lot of interesting personnel dynamics too. So it's just, you know, there's never a dull moment in this product or quite frankly, in any product that we offer. But, uh, you know, there's always something interesting and new going on in the world of distribution. I love it and uh, really happy I took on the job. And We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm excited to talk today about a lot of the developments that have been happening in distribution. It sounds like it, I mean, like you said yourself, it's changing all the time and there's lots of exciting things going. So we definitely want to cover that. But before we do that, I also want to know kind of in your day to day, what has your world been like? Uh, the worldwide senior managers, we all sponsor accounts. And what's so great about that program is it allows us insights into actually how we're interacting with you know, the, the, the accounts that we sponsor around the globe, how our services are and across all services. And it gives us an insight into how well we perform in our various different products. And so, you know, when uh, 22 or 24 months ago when COVID really started taking off, uh, obviously the distribution operations were some of the hardest hit in the, the early months yeah. because clearly you cannot run a warehouse without having people on the ground. You Absolutely. cannot run a warehouse remotely. Right. Um, you know, sometime in the future when we've got virtual reality and we can drive forklifts and, you know, do things through automation that, that may become a reality, but that's just not the way it is today. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of struggles, I would say the first three to four months until we were able to settle down and come in, you know, come up with the right strategies. Um, so I, I can honestly say for the last 12 months, the majority of my time has been spent supporting, you know, some of the other products that are suffering far greater challenges, whether it be on the ocean freight side that we're, everyone's well aware of, or even on the air freight side. Yeah. So, you know, from a product perspective, I would say that we have not had any serious operational challenges that have had to get escalated to a senior management level and it's been probably 16 months. So from that perspective, I've been extremely uh, fortunate, <laughs> unlike some of my uh, other product counterparts sure, that sure, uh, sure. are spending all their time trying to explain to a customer, you know, why their ocean freight rates are five or 10 X higher than they were two years ago and mm -hmm. why the freight's not moving. So, mm -hmm. um, We've been spending a lot of our time on, at least over the last six months, has been refining our processes and procedures so that we can simplify and make it uh, much easier for our staffing or for us to onboard or service our existing customers. So we haven't had to deal with some of the same challenges mm -hmm. where we're dealing with, you know, air ocean or, you know, domestic service providers that simply uh, don't have control over their resources. We have a lot more control over our resources on the distribution side. So. Um, and it's probably that that probably might be a surprise for for many that you know someone's hair here is not on fire exactly so from a distribution standpoint it has been uh the biggest challenge that we have is saying no to a potential mm -hmm. customer so i think that's been my biggest challenge uh myself and you know our well, our entire teams, especially on sales and account management, having to say no to opportunities because we simply don't have the space or the equipment or the labor to support them. So we've been, you know, we've been extremely cautious mm -hmm. and we've been extremely transparent with our customers. And, you know, we've we've only said yes when we are 110 percent sure that we can deploy and deliver on our commitment. So, yeah, I think that's been our biggest challenge has been saying no. And that, uh, just because it's tough. And that no. word commitment that you're using, like it, it is a commitment. We want to be able to execute 
flawlessly for new customers. And if we can't do that, then that's not fair to them, right? And that and that hurts our reputation. So exactly. we don't want to do that, right? We, we don't want to do that because all we're doing is we're creating a situation with a customer that we're endangering their relationship with their customers. Absolutely. And our relationship with that customer. And I would never want us to consciously take on business if we weren't 110% sure we could service. Let's talk about that now, actually. So what would you say right now is going on in the world of distribution? Yeah, so what's going on is that, well, before the freight's getting to the DC, it's probably already late. (laughs) The customers have probably already paid four to 10 times more than they had expected to pay or had paid a year prior. Sure. And chances are it's late because production was late Mm -hmm. uh, because of the factory challenges that we've seen. So. Um, by the time the freight has gotten to the DC, it's already on fire and late, and there's somebody <laughs> at the other end that desperately needs it. So, right. and you're kind of caught in this weird middle area, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're the <laughs> last ones bef- before the freight gets to the end customer, yeah, and or the consumer. And of course, it's now really late by mm-hmm. the time it's ready to ship in the DC. So the amount of pressure to get product out the door, um, what's really been going on has been more communications than ever before with, you know, between the customer and the DC on prioritization. In mm-hmm. other words, mm-hmm. uh, we have to make joint decisions with our customers on what takes priority, receiving or shipping, you know, mm-hmm. based on the orders, based on the factory needs, based on the consumer need. Uh, so we are, we're still doing triage and we're still trying to determine where we focus our efforts to deal with the late and the expensive crises. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, we have been, you know, and there's always going to be trade-offs because of the labor shortages. There's just simply not enough excess labor to get everything you want to get done in a DC. And, and for the labor that is there, do they have the right tools to to get the job done? One thing that we saw early on in the pandemic mm-hmm. um, was the support from either internal or third-party IT resources. Mm-hmm. And we know all almost all DCs or all high-volume DCs uh, are very heavy when it comes to systems. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, a down system, a down PC impacts orders. So we're not seeing those challenges anymore, but we did early on. Mm -hmm. Uh, We addressed those. But what's important about IT and resources that I think all all customers need to think about is that medium to large distribution transition will come with IT needs. You know, typically more EDI messages than any other product. And, you know, critical as well because we're dealing with customers' assets. So, I would just caution any customer looking to, you know, embark on a very large or new deployment of a new system or a new warehouse, think through that and make sure that you have the adequate IT resources. Right, right. Um, And the other thing that's been very challenging over the last, well, over the last year has been on the equipment side. Right. You know, typically uh, pre-pandemic, if we needed a forklift, I, we could have a forklift within an hour. Sure. You know, um, if we needed a new forklift, we could have a new forklift within a day. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing now is on lead times for forklifts, we're talking months. Wow. Um, let's talk racking. I mean, <laughs> let's talk pre pandemic racking and let's talk pre. To make room for all the freight that's, that's coming right. in, right? <laughs> so, you know, I think the big sticker shock too for ourselves and for our, any of our customers that have, you know, stood up their own DCs has been just 
the inflation when it comes to just imagine racking. Yeah. Racking steel. The majority of the racking came out of China mm -hmm. when the Chinese tariffs hit. You know, we saw a huge spike in uh, the cost, but yeah, racking is now cost double of what it did pre-pandemic and the lead times, you know, depending on how much you need or want, I mean, lead times can be six months. But it's still so, a necessity. It, yeah, exactly. You still need it no matter what. I mean, right now we've seen, you know, through Q3, 500 million square feet of absorption over the last 12 months just in North America alone. In other words, there is almost no, there's less than 4% of available industrial space. Oh. So there have already been, there's been, people moving into 500 million square feet. The growth happened. The growth yeah. happened and yeah. it is still happening. So wow. just imagine the resource challenges that everyone is having in terms of getting the equipment, in terms of getting the racking, in terms of getting forklifts or rollers. But most importantly, think about the need to have people on site mm -hmm. at a DC mm -hmm. that are configuring, you know, your scanners, your everything mm -hmm. even even you know security alarms things like that yeah, so yeah. um yeah just just know that things are not moving nearly as quick as they used to when you wanted to stand up a dc mm -hmm. one of the things i was curious about is the behaviors of consumers uh, moving up the supply chain how is distribution impacted by lockdowns oh wow so i think the biggest challenge we have is that everybody on this call has probably acquired much more than they ever have on e-commerce. They have an expectation that if they uh, click online, they can have it delivered within 24 hours. And so that same expectation has shifted into the uh, into the B2B world as well. Right, right. Materials. Materials, you know, yeah. yeah. Hey, if I can get it within 24 hours to my doorstep, why can't you get it to my factory within 24 hours? Right. And again, that gets back to the type of the operations that you're dealing with, the staffing levels, where they're located. Um, you know, certainly there are pockets around the world that are being more severely impacted than others due mm -hmm. to COVID. So I think, you know, it's very important that everyone adjust and have realistic expectations and, you know, don't assume that, you know, your same day delivery or your 24 hour delivery uh, from your online purchase is going to be the same on the B2B. Yeah. It should be if you have agreed upon that metric or that KPI with the service provider. But, you know, unless that metric's been agreed to- Get in line. Get in line because, <laughs> exactly, because uh, everybody's got challenges. Sure, sure. Of course, of course. I want to kind of turn back the clock here a little bit and look at where distribution was, you know, five or 10 years ago. Um, you know, you were saying earlier that there's a lot of uh, a lot of changes happening, a lot of innovations, a lot of investments uh, in kind of improving operations. What's significant about what's going on now, and how does it differ from what would have been seen five years ago? So I think this is a uh, similar to the overall question about logistics in general. Mm -hmm. Up in, you know, pre-pandemic, how often were CEOs ever involved with the supply chain yeah. and actual deliveries? Yeah, you know, the the CEO would, you know. Maybe an issue got escalated because their largest account was being impacted, and then they spoke with their, you know, their their logistics manager. Hey, we haven't, we've got an issue with this customer. Take care of it. It got taken care of, and CEO moved on. Didn't talk about logistics for another twelve or fourteen months till another issue appeared. Mm -hmm. Well, what we've all seen since COVID is that pretty much every CEO around the globe has gotten involved. <laughs> yeah, with they're logistics, rolling their sleeves up, yeah, <laughs> uh, for the first time. Yeah. For the first time, we're seeing CEOs that are actually reading logistics 
you know, publications. Mm-hmm. For the first time, we're actually seeing logistics in the news every single day. We're seeing it both on, you know, on the regular news, whether you're consuming that through your television or your iPhone or your, you know, your your device or, you know, printed or published. Yeah. So there is now an interest in logistics. And what has also happened because of the pandemic is that the discussion about automation over the last 22 months gets louder and louder every single day. What are we doing as an organization? I'm just talking about a hypothetical CEO. Sure, yeah. What are we doing as an organization so we're not so dependent on labor? Mm -hmm. What are we doing so that we're insulated from the labor challenges if this pandemic is to, you know, endure or we have another one? So Mm -hmm. the discussion around automation and reducing reliance on labor is the big discussion now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, five years ago, there were discussions and there there were uh, companies that have, de- you know, th- that got into robotics. But what we're seeing now is, you know, every week there's a new entrant into the robotics uh, arena. And we're also seeing robotics as a service or RAS. Yeah, this is, is a just new like, one for me. Yeah, like SaaS. You've heard of SaaS, <laughs> yeah, software sure, sure. as a service. Right. Now we've got RAS. In other words, <laughs> we don't have to drop, you know, a multi-million dollar CapEx now mm-hmm. to get robots in our facility. We don't have to sign a check up front. Uh, we're bringing we're, a partner now. Yeah, we've got a partner and we can actually lease robots now. Wow. Um, just as we can a forklift. Mm-hmm. So, I expect that trend will continue. I expect that everyone around the globe is going to continue to find ways to become less dependent on labor. And I believe that, uh, you know, the ones that use automation properly Mm -hmm. and they go in it eyes wide open and have a solid plan versus just, oh, we need automation, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Unless you have a clear plan, you're just throwing money away. Sure. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say that uh, that's been th- th- the biggest change has been just overall awareness of the DCs mm-hmm. at the the C-suite, and you know, discussions around automation and less dependency on labor. What does a balance look like between automation and labor? I mean, labor, it strengthens the economy by keeping people employed, but automation obviously increases productivity and efficiency by a whole bunch. What does the balance look like for that? There's always going to be those that are Mm -hmm. anti-automation, anti-CapEx, more focus on labor. You know, every automation opportunity is slightly different and the right balance is obviously don't overdo it on the front end sure. because what what we I think one of the things that we do great as an organization is determine our return on investment for ourselves and more importantly for our customer when it comes to automation. Mm-hmm. What we found is that you know we've actually consciously not deployed automation that has you know a ten year ROI for a customer that is not you know, potentially going to have that same business for the next 10 years. Their patterns might shift. They may not need automation in one location, but they're going to need it in another. So we're going to be strategic about it. And what is the immediate uh, short, medium, and long-term need? And we will determine the balance. But a fully automated warehouse will never exist because you're always going to need staff on site maintaining the machinery. And trust me, I have seen some 
incredibly automated uh, facilities. Uh, I've seen one of our customers in Europe that, you know, at one point at a peak, they had over 700 full-time employees. They're yeah. down to 35. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Producing the same amount. Now, mind you, that came with a 45 million euro CapEx. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, it really depends. You want to find the right balance and you want to find the right return on investment. And I think the companies that focus on the highest ROI first and aren't trying to boil the ocean are going to have the most successful deployments. Right. It's not about going for the shiniest, newest thing and assuming that that's the one model that'll work. It's like a strong labor management strategy. That's right. Yeah. And quite frankly, you need both. You need, you know, you need systems and tools to manage the labor, but more importantly, you need great people that are managing that labor. Mm -hmm. That's more important than uh, you know, a great tool is mm. having great people. Yeah. And I, especially now, I think our, you know, fortunate, fortunately, our company strategy has always been, you know, to treat our employees and service providers with the respect that they deserve mm -hmm. and pay them more than what, you know, the industry is probably paying. Yeah. Uh, and that will ensure that we're always going to be successful. But I think, um, where I've seen the biggest failures are the organizations that are just focusing on lowest, how, how low can they pay their their service provider or their right. employees? It just doesn't work. What other uh, kind of areas of continuous improvement are, are happening in distribution aside from automation? Yeah, let me, I, I think the most interesting aspect over the last 22 months uh, has been reinforcing the need for continuous improvement in our operations. So in other words, you know, early on in the pandemic, we were just trying to get through the day. The mm -hmm. first few months, we were just trying to get orders out the door. Triage. Well, once we, you know, yeah. once we got through the triage, once we stabilized, and once we, you know, did have adequate resources, we, in some ways, were still in triage mode and weren't looking as aggressively as we were uh, pre-pandemic to the KPIs. So mm -hmm. I think what has been very important for me personally and for our teams globally has been back to the basics in COVID. In other words, our continuous improvement has started with, let's take a look at our KPIs. Let's look at them daily. Mm -hmm. Let's look at them weekly and let's look at them monthly and make sure that you know we are continuously improving in our operations despite the labor challenges. So what's been born out of you know some of our, some of our challenges has been have absolutely been new processes and procedures to try to make things easier yeah. because we have had turnover in our, in our facilities and sure. we will always be onboarding, you know, new, new staff to mm -hmm. support. So I think it's very important to talk about continuous improvement in terms of making sure that you haven't lost focus on the KPIs, mm -hmm. making sure that you have not lost sense of the basics because you've, said, well, basics and KPIs are thrown out the window because of all the challenges. No, you have to stick to those and it requires strong leadership. And so I think more so than automation, our focus on just overall continuous improvement and having those discussions and not taking our eye off the ball has been what's been most important for us. It sounds like, like yeah, automation is this great new thing that's happening and it's great. We'll, we'll learn to work with it and to develop it more and more. But it sounds like what you're ultimately you're talking about is the power of your word. Really, power to, the to customers. Yeah, yeah. Of all the products, mm -hmm. we will always have the, the highest headcount. Mm -hmm. And we're always going to have 
the most personnel challenges. Sure. And therefore, I think it is more critical than ever, especially during pandemic times, to have the best people managers mm-hmm. um, in, in your DC operations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say people have become more important than ever. And I think it's going to stay that way for at least the next few years. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be dealing with labor challenges for a couple more years. Mm-hmm. Kind of bringing this down to a close, as we look forward into 2022, um, what lessons would you say have been learned this year that you would want to kind of pass on to folks who are listening? What can be done to uh, prepare, plan, and kind of continue to power through? Oh, 2022. <laughs> prepare, plan, power through. That's, that, <laughs> that, would be, that really is it, huh? Yeah, that is it. In other words, look, we all know how difficult it is for most companies to forecast. Mm. We know that. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't changed. It's probably gotten a lot harder, actually. Sure. But forecasting for your DC operations so that you know, you've got to have realistic key performance indicators that can actually be executed upon and you need to manage those every single day, week, and month. Mm-hmm. And you need to constantly adjust and you need to be realistic and you need to make sure that you know you understand that your DC and your DC managers and your DC operations, they are the last before that shipment gets delivered to the customer. So uh, work in partnership, communicate, understand their challenges, work together and uh, Power through, like you said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what does a successful customer look like then uh, in, in next year? Yeah, the most successful customers that we see are the ones that have, you know, they have a good idea on their volumes, mm-hmm. that, you know, they are realistic and taking the example of the one container a week that now has not gotten out of the port and then all four of them come in on the same day, plan for that. Mm-hmm understand your priorities understand which you know which of your end customers will receive the priority first and communicate that and don't wait until you know the shipment is already on fire and your ceo is involved <laughs> yeah, right. yeah so i think just transparency openness measuring together working together to resolve challenges mm-hmm. understanding that uh you know, the customer is probably short on IT resources. And, yeah. you know, while I wouldn't say we're short, we're definitely, you know, we're definitely tight. Yeah. So, and everyone is. Know, everybody yeah. is. So just, just be realistic. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I think another thing that uh, comes to mind is, um, constant knowledge and exposure to the logistics world. I mean, you said, you know, CEOs are now getting more involved, you know, they're rolling their sleeves up, they're, 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 they're having more and more conversations. So that constant exposure and understanding just what is going on in supply chain is going to be crucial to, to that success. Yeah, I would say that that would be one other uh, recommendation I would have that where possible, yeah, where you're not exposing yourself or others mm-hmm. and you're not, you know, you're not going to create a risk or a concern for the DC. If you've never been to a, a DC that's tight, Mm-hmm. That's at capacity. That's above ninety percent. <laughs> Book a tour now. <laughs> Book a tour now because then you'll understand. Yeah. You know, people just realize. Well, why can't you get the freight out of the warehouse? It's like, well, come look and see. You know, yeah. it's very difficult for me to explain why product that's in the corner of that warehouse we can't get it out 
you know, it's no different than what's happening in the seaports. Right. You know, if you've got if you've got an ocean container at the bottom of that pile, it could be weeks before that pile gets unburied. And unfortunately, when you're in a tight DC, it's no different. So, mm -hmm. you know, now is the opportunity to learn. And especially if you've got an irate CEO or an irate <laughs> COO, book a tour with them mm -hmm. and book a tour with them. And maybe you can hit three things at once. Maybe you can get to a seaport, an airport, and a DC all in the same day. Right. And that will hopefully educate everyone on the need for transparency and planning, you know, because it's, it's very difficult to put into words why it's so hard to pull freight out of a corked warehouse. Until you see it, yeah. Until you see it. Yeah, yeah. So Absolutely. I would recommend that if you if you have the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. If you if you don't understand it or if somebody on your team doesn't understand it, because it's it's really difficult to put into words why it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. But you know, hey, there's a reason why we had uh quite a few of our execs driving forklifts again. Mm. You know, we gotta see it, gotta gotta be part of the solution and we've got to all work together to figure this out. Yeah. Incredible. Bruce, thank you so much for the time and thank you for uh for walking me through this. This is so much to take in, but uh, I know that I'm actually going to go back and listen to this a couple of times through just to like really understand because uh, yeah, you're right. Like it's a picture's worth a thousand words. Being in there in person is going to be worth millions. That's right. It is. <laughs> but hey, hey, the pleasure has been mine. And yeah. you know, I, anytime, you know yeah. where to find me. Yeah. And where can people find you actually, if they're interested in getting to contact, if they've got questions uh, or just want to talk to the distribution team, what can they do? Yeah. Hey, if anybody wants to talk to me, they can find my information on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm based here in our corporate headquarters. They can dial the main number um, at corporate and they can get to me. And my email is bruce.krebs, that's K-R-E-B-S at expeditors.com. Uh, be more than happy to have a conversation with anybody. Excellent. Thank you again for the time, Bruce. Thank you, Chris. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expeditors, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expeditors.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time.